Okay, so we are in Paris on March 14th, 2008. I am Denis Lenoir, ASC AFC, uh, and for a podcast uh, on the ASC website, I'm going to interview my friend and colleague Willy Courant, ASC AFC also, upon his work on The Immortal Story, a film by Orson Welles. So first, uh, Willy, uh, I would like you to say a few words about uh, the, what you had done before, in some way. How, how old were you at the time, and uh, what you had already done? I was about 33 or 34, and I had shot several new wave movies, so to speak. Uh, one brought me to the top of the young cameraman At that time, I shot Masculine Feminine by Jean-Luc Godard, which attracted attention from the English-speaking community. And I had a lot of articles about my work in a week, a lot. Uh, before that... Which was a black and white film. It was a black and white where I manipulated, thanks to the chemistry, I manipulated the blacks and the whites and I eliminated the greys in a Godard movie... Also, uh, how would I say that? I gave it a look a bit different from Coutard. I was a great admirer of Coutard, but uh, nobody knows forever why I was chosen. I think Godard, well, Coutard, I'm sorry, was a regular wife of Godard, and I became the mistress for one movie. <laughs> and I decided to be a good mistress and do some experimentation. So there were articles about me, because before, before that I was kind of a newsreel cameraman, uh, what you call in the United States a combat cameraman, and I covered several wars or revolutions or independence uh, situations. So before that, I shot events rather dangerous in the Congo, the Cuban Revolution, um, Vietnam, and things like that. I Several times I did things like that. The Congo I did several times. It was rather dangerous. And the philosophy at that time was to bring back a document, whatever the quality was, but bring back the document. There was not such a thing like a reshoot. Yeah. What you had to do was real, and you were bringing it back. Price. And it was on the network when you came back. So, from what I understand, Orson Welles started with another cameraman. During two days, he used somebody from the old guard, and this guy this cameraman, I'm sorry, was introduced by uh, the operator. And the operator had been working with Wells on Chimes at Midnight. And he was a very good operator, but for some strange reason it didn't click with Orson. The DP was rather scared by Orson, which I can understand, and was always far away saying, mumbling, Mr. Wells, and things like that, and it was getting on Orson's nerves, and he was also a very classical, academic, not a bad cameraman, just uh, somebody coming from the ranks. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of these in Europe, there are a lot of these in the United States, uh, but it did not click with Orson, so he was trying to find somebody uh, through recommendations, working fast, and I don't know how my name came up, But one day, and I knew the movie was going to be uh, 
shot in France. And in my wildest dream, I never thought I would be chosen to do an Orson Welles movie. So one day, a phone rang, and uh, the producer, the real executive producer of the movie, Michel Rosan, who was the agent from Jeanne Moreau, who was the agent for Peter Brook and some other people, all the intellectual, so-called, a bit international directors in France. She called me and I met her and uh, she was very tough on me because I have the impression that she was not wanting me, she was wanting somebody else mm -hmm. and the other person was not available. So the ping-pong was between another cameraman and myself and the other cameraman was Patrice Pouget who was working, who had been working on a man and a woman for uh, Lelouch. Mm -hmm. And... A night before it was chosen, all Paris knew that Patrice Pouget was going to be shooting the movie. It was even the press. He was a very tough guy in terms of uh, publicity. So he sold his thing a little bit too early. And so I, uh, a lot of questions, and I asked uh, who shot the first things, why was it, and why was he fired, and, uh, and uh, should I call him? And the, the answers were always very arrogant, like, why do you ask this? Uh, you have the chance, we, you have been called, we, maybe we were wanting somebody else. Why do you ask those questions? Well, I was trying to protect a certain integrity in our work, you know, the way we communicate. And uh, the line producer was Marc Moret, in a very strange way, and I had kind of prejudice against him. He was a marvelous line producer, but he was also the head of the CGT, which is the union, which was a left-left-handed union at that time with a narrow angle of view. Mm -hmm. But I was wrong. He was a marvelous uh, line producer. So I met Wells at the Hotel Raphael in Paris, very late. He was in a big room, room 116, I remember, because I <laughs> took the room for myself and the lady years later, uh -huh. and he was wearing a pink pyjama, and the first question he asked me, uh, you read the script? Yes, I read the script. It's a television movie? Yes. Could you make it in less than a month? I said yes. What kind of lighting do you propose? And I said to work fast. I, I saw the list you had, you have to eliminate a lot of these things, because they require more electricians than you have in the budget. And uh, I'm offering you, I'm taking a chance, another way to shoot it. You know, the tubes are not very good in television. This was in 67. You're talking about it was shot, it was shot on film. On it was shot on, yeah, on yeah. 35 millimeter film. It was going to be shot on film. It was shot for French TV, the it was Yes, or RTF at that time. Or RTF at that time. At that time. And uh, the tubes were not accepting contrast very well. And it was the beginning of color TV in it France? It was for the beginning of... I did the two movies for the beginning of television color in France. Absolutely a coincidence. I did the movie by Pierre Coralnik, which is called Anna, Anna with Anna Karina. musical comedy. Musical comedy is going to be seen very shortly at the Cité de la Musique in mm -hmm. Paris. And uh, Orson had seen it. Uh-huh. And he was in love with Anna Karina, so it was one of the things which uh -huh, made him sure. 
uh, go in my direction, but I offered him something uh, different, not to work on contrast, because he would be disappointed when it would be on TV. You mean unlike on his previous movies, movies. which I adore, and I yes. prefer to do things very contrasty. Which were black and white. Yes, and, well, it was, contrast would be my signature for a lot of years, but there I was wanting to be practical, shooting the amount of weeks, and also... If you read Isaac Dinensen, uh, the baroness who wrote the story, Jeanne Moreau is supposed to be 17. As so, she was. As she was probably 42, 43, yeah. 44, something so. like that. And uh, I, um, what did I say? I said, I offer you to work with the opposition of colors rather than values of contrast. Mm -hmm. And he jumped on that immediately, he was very pleased, and uh, he hired me in, uh, in, on the spot. And he said, what kind of equipment do, do you work with? And I said, I'm going to work with some diffusion called Kodatras, because all the diffuse, diffusion, I'm repeating myself, all the diffusion existing now was not existing at that time, except for tracing paper. Mm -hmm. 60 gram or 90 gram was a signature we, which I was putting on frame and I was mm -hmm. putting some light behind to soften the light. But I was using strong backlights. And there was also this fiber, uh, glass fi uh, fiber. Yes, yes, yes. Spun glass. I did not use spun glass. I didn't like spun glass too much. And I was using Kodatras, which was a paper designed by Kodak, not for a film use, but for architects or something like that. So it was a diffuser, diff, diffusing, sorry, I'm start, starting again. It was a diffuser on a frame, and I wasn't losing any color temperature because, mm -hmm. uh, because of that uh, tracing ah, yes. paper. Because, because it was slightly blue, And so it was compensating, it was compensating the, yellowish, the, the yellow of the paper. Yes, yeah. the loss of the paper. The, yeah. And uh, I had a very tough scene the first day. And the only... Some people left the movie because I was arriving. The operator didn't want. And he installed himself in a cafe next to our location, waiting until I would be fired. This is true? Yes, this is a true story. Oh, that's amazing. And I have never been fired. <laughs> So he's probably still in the cafe. No, he's not still in the cafe. He's probably retired or dead. I don't know. And uh, it was a strange story. So the assistant cameraman stayed and he was promoted operator by Orson. And he was so scared because framing was an 18 millimeter at that time. And we are touching the line or where the projectors, the spotlights were. And he didn't care. He was too scared to take a move, to make a movement. So after one day, he resigned, and I took the camera myself, and I was operator and DP at the Which same time. Which you have almost always done, done anyway. Yeah, yes, yes. And Orson adored that, the way we did it. And first day of the dailies at LTC, a very famous, probably the best lab at that time. In the room, there's a scene where Jean Moreau is behind a curtain of veil, white veil. And a double, it makes a double diffusion. She's very white. It's a high key look. She opens the veil. Her face comes out. It's slightly brownish, but it's very beautiful. And the timer of the lab apologizes. And he says, Oh, um, excuse us. It's not very good. We will recorrect that. 
And Orson, in a very loud voice, said to me in English, Listen at this idiot from the lab, they are all the same. How can you work with people like that? So, and I was a bit embarrassed in case he was understanding English, but he didn't understand yeah. English. For your culture, it was Nick. You probably knew Nick. Of course. Yeah, it was Nick, one of the head timers uh -huh. at LTC at that time. And who became a director uh, of the lab. No, 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 he didn't become a director. This, this, it was an, another one, it was Claude Léon was the director. No, no, but not that, but later Nick oh, yeah? was like a big shot in Yeah, he uh, was a big shot fine, in the lab, yeah. but he was one of the two big shots. They were very good timers. I mean, the system yeah. was very good there. The quality was very high. And uh, so we started shooting the movie, and uh, also the only things I changed, you know, immediately I had a, a French invention called the Giroflex, Ahead, where you with wheels, uh -huh. where everything was in reverse of normal wheels, you know, and <laughs> I couldn't do so. I took a flute head, mm -hmm. you know, and I followed like this, and Orson liked it very much. Um, okay, I would like to go back to this choice of uh, color. color versus uh, density or contrast yes. versus. Uh, could you? Tell it was also uh, Orson Welles' first color film, wasn't it? It was not his co first color film, because he did something in South America, it's all true, which was never finished. Yeah. And he did some other experiments in color, but uh, yeah, it's his first finished color film and his last finished professional color movie, mm -hmm. movie of any type, I would say. Yes. Finished one. The other thing, uh, I, I remember discovering the film when it was released on French TV. Yes. For me, it was on a black and white TV. And the, in France at the time, most of the TV sets in homes were black and white. Were black and white. Are you, were you aware of that? I'm sure. And, di and did you thought about it when... Uh, no, I didn't think about it at all. I was trying to make color. Yeah. And... If you go even deeper in my past, in my past, sorry, if you go even deeper in my past, I've been a trainee and worked in a research lab on color before that. So I already Mickey Mouse the processing to have colors pop up more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's uh, I made colors pop up more, more saturated, colors. more saturated by changing the processing time, uh -huh. and I. Discussed that with Claude Léon, who mm -hmm. was a chemist. Of who was an incredible chemist. Yes, yes. yes. So I did uh, my little uh, mm -hmm. mayonnaise sauce, mm -hmm. and uh, colors were popping more. And you had the same colors now, uh, 30 years later, with uh, an emulsion by Kodak called 77. Yes. But I did it in another way a few years before that. And uh, the only thing where uh, an Orson was wanting me to had strong backlights, which I did. And when I see the movie again, now I'm kind of embarrassed. It seems to be a little bit too strong. But Orson has done that in a lot of movies. The big thing for Orson is to frame himself the locked-off shots. It's a millimeter to the left. The way it's done is really miraculous, and I had to adapt very fast to an asymmetric type of framing with a lot of ceiling and sometimes the actors in the lower part of the frame. And I understood it real quick. That's why he was liking me. And uh, the, the key grip was a marvelous key grip. He stayed. Mm -hmm. 
So I said the first assistant left, and I took in two of my regular assistants, which uh, came in and helped me during the movie. Mostly it was shot. Some things, some shots, were shot with a big camera, which was a French invention, Camay 300 Reflex, uh -huh. which was something very, very heavy. Big like a Mitchell. It's bigger than a Mitchell. Or the bigger, it was, it yeah, because it was a, there was a blimp around it. Yes. Yeah. It was not a blimp. No, no, no. It was a one-piece camera, but it was very, very heavy, but it was a reflex. And at that time, the Mitchells were not yet reflexes. Uh -huh. I started with Mitchell reflex and a movie I did with Marlon Brando after this one. And I had a Mitchell adapted by DiGiulio, who was a technician from Hollywood, who made it a reflex, but that was... Mm -hmm. We were wanting the frame to... And the second camera was a CM3, a Camiflex, mm -hmm. which Orson was, was preferring because it didn't have any stripes in the middle of the, of the ground glass like mm -hmm. an Aeroflex, which were distracting people when you compose a frame. Yeah, or like the Ari uh, Ari, Ari 2, 3, yeah, or which is horrible, yeah. yeah. I, I, I own one of these, I did own one of these, but I didn't bring it in. Coming from the newsreel world, it was more reliable than the CM3. But uh, Orson had himself a CM3 in Spain, somewhere. Mm -hmm. So, uh, on the CM3, why was he liking so much the CM3? What would be your answer? Because he could handheld it to use it like a viewfinder? No, he did that also. You were removing the mag, uh -huh. just putting a lens on, and he was using it like a viewfinder. Absolutely true. But the other problem was, or the other idea was, he had a very big head, and he could pull the viewfinder out on the <laughs> CM3, and he couldn't pull it out on another camera. That's why he adored the CM3. Yes. Yeah. Did, were you using any filtration, diffusion filters? I had my own, I had my own filtration, uh, which uh, Jean Moreau tried to buy years later. <laughs> uh, Yeah, I had my own filtration, but I didn't use a lot of things because the curtains in the love scene, and it was lighting so soft, front light or, or side light was very, very soft. I still kept the direction in the lighting. It was not full face flat, but it came with big sources. And the backlights were the colored trends or some uh, leftovers of the other cameramen, which were Kramer lenses, which is the equivalent of a Mole Richardson Jr. or uh, something like that, you know. And, but the front light was always very soft, and we invented a few little things also. Sometimes I'm using only a backlight, and when Roger Coggio, the male actor, star of the film, is reading a book, In reality, he's reading the book, but he has a piece of aluminum foil in his book, and he's lighting himself. We're bouncing, some, bouncing some light which, which yeah. was above him. Yeah, well, yeah. the light was, is his f f real backlight. Oh, but yeah. It's, yeah, it's wider, and it hits... Yes. Yeah, and so this gives some interesting light on his face. Now, a lot of these things are not all shot in Paris or in France. It was shot around Paris and in Spain. So at one point, a co-production... Oh, yeah, there are a few amazing stories which, uh, which were... Strange things happened. You know, we had a script supervisor and she used to work for Truffaut before 
and she didn't like me at all. And some people, the art director also didn't like me at all because I had a right from another world. And uh, she was bad-mouthing me. And one day she was running after Orson Welles in the stairs and said, Mr. We Mr. Welles, Mr. Welles, it does not match. What you are doing is not matching. And I'm sure he hated that. No, no, he laughed like hell. Yeah. And I laughed too. I and mean, this he was such an editor himself. Yes, yes. He laughed so much and I laughed too. So she never forgave me that and she killed me in all Paris telling my reputation. I didn't get along with him or something like that. The truth is, the first day I was very polite. I said, Mr. Wells, do you like this? And he said immediately, don't call me Mr. Wells, call me Orson. And she reversed the situation in Paris. She reversed the story, telling I had called him uh, Orson and... Uh, he had yeah, said, yeah. call me Mr. Well, Wells. Yeah. <laughs> well, those things are happening. It's a small world, yes. you know. <laughs> it's a small world uh, yes. where small people also are Yeah, living. well, sometimes some people are good with some people, but they want to be the agent for the new wave. And this person called me because I did a movie with Skolimovsky after that, and she wanted to be Skolimovsky's group supervisor, so she called me, and I was kind of embarrassed, but I still asked Skolimovsky, and he said, no, 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 I don't want, uh, no, I want a man. <laughs> That's a script. I want a script boy, not a script girl. <laughs> he took a guy out of film school to do yeah. that. So uh, there are a lot of stories about the, about the immortal story, and some reviewers are asking me uh, why in a long move did you work handheld and why were you behind Jean Moreau handheld uh, and finishing the movement going around her handheld and the answer was very simple because we were in a small town in Spain and the grip truck never arrived so Orson told me let's shoot it handheld at that time we had a small motor on the CM3, which broke. And so I had a big motor, electric motor, mm -hmm. out of uh, 220 volts to carry on the side of the CM3 to hold oh, yes. the handheld. Yes, I remember this big yes, one. So the I, one which was yes. with a cable. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So uh, I shot all these things with this motor and the cable. And finally, the motor was repaired because Edmond Richard, who had shot the trial, was shooting another movie in Spain, and he's an engineer. So we sent him the motor in the evening, and he repaired it and sent <laughs> it back. I would like to come back on the choice of lighting you made. Uh, you mentioned wide uh, side sources. Wide? Sorry. Uh, you mentioned also some backlight. You didn't say a word about uh, the uh, light you would put just like accents on the walls in the in the in the backgrounds or something. I would like you slashes to of light. Slashes of light. I would like you to tell. Yeah, we about did it. some coloring in the slashes of light, and I was ready to do the coloring. But Orson, who has worked in the theater world, we didn't have a lot of gels, so he sent the AD in all the theaters of Madrid, and brought back some leftovers of yellow gel, and basically. The slashes of light are my ID, but the color on the walls mm -hmm. is the ID of Orson. So, uh, Perfect he, collaboration. Yes, yeah, so he gave... Uh, we were working with leftovers of uh, 
yellow straw light, mm -hmm. I would say. We, we did that also. And that's also appeared when I started to work with, with mirrors, so, which I used a lot in my life. I was hitting a corner of a mirror somewhere, a corner at a very straight angle, a side angle, and I was getting kind of a strange shadow on the wall, which nobody could say what it was, mm -hmm, but it mm -hmm. was a point of lighting. Mm -hmm. I've done that a lot. Of course, uh, people don't have to dance on the set when you do that because light would move. So actually, you are, uh, because you, you, didn't, you decided not to use uh, contrast, uh, you created the uh, illusion of depth and contrast, not the illusion, actually, real depth, no, uh, uh, by using uh, different colors. Yes. And also putting flash, uh, slashes, slashes of, of light of in the background. Light the depth, and also using also clearly the backlight. To, uh, using the backlight, but there are still walls I did not light. Uh, there are still arches I did not light. Mm. And that was a subject of my discussions with Orson, usually. Uh, he was very like a father to be on that thing and uh, and very uh, in a very elegant way uh, telling me mm, you lit this well we can save it and why don't you light the second arch and I did it and I learned a lot of things and I never had the opportunity to redo that again with another director because Every director is different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I tried a little bit on the Volker Schleudorf movie I did after that, in Michael Kohlhaas' Rebel. I, I, I used a lot the 18, and I used a lot the, the asymmetric composition. Yeah, I did that a little bit. But it's about the only director I could do it with. Well, I, I guess when you were working with a visual director, yes. it has. First, you're, we are always very fortunate when we're working for visual directors. But then, when they are visual, they generally have their own ideas and yes. taste. So you can't really uh, export. Uh, you, I, I think you can export, but some. I mean, uh, it's very funny because Orson said he learned photography in 24 hours with Greg Toland. Uh, yeah, but he had an experience in theatre. And uh, anyhow, anyhow, I'm repeating myself, anyhow, um, in this thing which was colour, he was discovering the limits and the possibilities of the emulsions at that time. I have to remember you that the emulsion was rating 50 ASA. Mm -hmm. What was the number, Kodak? Uh, 52, 54, something yeah. like that, yes. Uh, uh, no, this I remember, it was faster. 54 was, I think, 100 ASA. The, the, the yeah. previous one. Yeah, previous ones. Yes. 51. 51 or 53 or yeah. something like that. I have used so many Kodak emulsions yeah, that I'm in lost. your life. <laughs> yes, in my life. But I remember it was 50 ASA, and I pushed certain things, and also for the first time of his life, he accepted long lenses, which I offered him. Why? Same thing, same story. Why did you shoot with a long lens when the young boy is running behind the carriage? You know, mm -hmm. the young blonde boy is a sailor. When we were in Chinchon, the grip truck was still not there, and we had to shoot. So I had in my kit, my personal kit, a 50 millimeter, a uh, 90 millimeter. Um, double focal lens, which is called macro killer. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? 
Macrocular. So it's a macro lens. A macro lens, but ninety millimeters. Ninety millimeters, which I used in the love scene with, uh, with in in the interior. I mm -hmm. offered. I used it for the lips of Jean Moreau and the close-ups of Jean Moreau and 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 then th there I took a one hundred fifty millimeter to do the running shots instead of a moving shot on a on a on a dolly. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and plus it was day for night. Panning, actually. Panning, panning. Yeah, with a long giving lens. The, yes, it, giving, it, giving it, the impression. It, it can look you and he was a bit track. scared at the beginning, but he liked it a lot. So this was, uh, I was the first one to sell him a 150 <laughs> millimeter and a 90. And an historian, you know, François Thomas, uh, wrote about that and interviewed me during hours about this thing. And it's in some books, you know, and uh, yeah, it's a, but some uh, really, a lot of people hated that movie. Some because it was, for many reasons, uh, different from yes. what Orson Welles had done before. Uh, and also, I would like you to tell us about, um, yes, you, you, you added some long answers, yes. but also uh, the filming himself. The, the shot list in some way, I don't know how you yes, know that, list. was different from the previous uh, West movies. Was it because more close-ups? Uh, uh, was it because of the TV television? I don't know really. I mean, uh, we were shooting the American way, anyhow. We were covering more than the normal way, like people are doing in Europe. Mm -hmm. One shot, one reverse. The reverses were on, on, on Orson. And I'll tell you how the reverses were shot, because this is very interesting. Um, so the reverses were shot on Orson at the end of the shoot, in a big armchair, always, you know. So uh, there are a lot of uh, sequences. For, for instance, there's a sequence where the sailor is on a red set with some Chinese servants coming in and preparing and serving the food. And there, it was a locked-off shot, and Orson framed something. I looked at it, and I said, are you sure? Because I'm not too sure it's going to work. I was very daring, but we, we, we were working very well together. And I made him doubt a lot. And he said, I don't know, he said himself. And finally, we shot him his way, and he was right. So I, I learned something. Mm -hmm. And there, I obtained some kind of a contrast by... The false contrast with slashes on yellow light on a red set with a brown table. And also, to make one of the shots, which is the magnitude of the CM3, I took the CM3, put it on the table without a wedge at the end of the table, and I made a master shot. Uh, so he was knowing how to use, he accommodated himself mm -hmm. the equipment, Later, when I went to Madrid, he had his own CM3. It was not in order. It was a CM3 3516, and nothing was working, so I kept the CM3 we had in Paris. Uh, uh, the whole uh, story takes place in Macau. So it was shot in the suburb of Paris and uh, some villages around Madrid. Yes, and in the suburb of Paris, yes. There was a house which was rented to people uh, going to film some exteriors in the old house. So we filmed that house and one scene, the market, is shot very close to the house. And there was a mistake by one of my assistants. He forgot to put the 85 filters. 
and it came slightly blue, light blue. And when Orson saw the dailies, he, he adored that. I said, how did you do that? I said, I'm sorry, it's a mistake of my assistant. And it's kept in the movie. It's not kept in the DVDs. But no. print darker? Or just, no, no, just, just like this, just slightly blue, yeah. working without an 85. What the Brits have done a lot yeah. uh, after, after and before that. Uh, here we have, uh, in, in France, uh, we are all kind of the, in line with what the school told us, or Girard, or the deck, and sometimes we don't touch these things. It's like, uh, you know, it's uh, Pol Pot of the photography. <laughs> and you have to escape once in a while, take some other ways. Yes, it was very, very nice that. Uh, we also shot in uh, his house in Madrid. Mm -hmm. And the good surprise for those wanting to badmouth me I was in a hotel uh, during the three or four, four. I was in a hotel during three or four days, and Orson asked me to stay in his house. So I was uh, having uh, my breakfast with Orson, his wife, and uh, he was serving me glasses of uh, of wine or cognac, the size of a uh, I don't know a barrel. <laughs> so I, I resisted very well. Yeah, it was a strange thing, you know. And finally, I've done three movies with him, two unfinished and that one. So, attacking the knights to shoot in Spain, the knights outside big locations, like Macau, I offered day for night, because we didn't have the resources to light it. And also, if it was very dark in a conventional way, it would not be very good on TV mm. at that time. I have to say that now it would work. In 2008, everything is okay on television. But it was 40 years ago. And this is 40 years ago, and I had the experience of how far you could go with the tube, because one of my friends was a top director in TV, and I was working with him. His name was Jean-Christophe Averti, and I had experimented everything with him. I was his DP. So, uh, you know, I knew how far you could go in the white or in the dark. Because the telecinema people were telling us, stop, stop, because our transmitter in Marseille is going to blow if you continue to do those white things or those dark things. Which is not the truth. Because some of the technicians were looking at their meter, the needle on the meter, but they were not looking at the image. Images, yes. And this is something we have had for years. And now it's gone, thanks to progress. So day for night, I started with another system of day for night, which I kind of ameliorated year, year by year, and finally I made my own filters of black and white with the uh, collaboration of Harrison and Harrison in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And uh, I use them, and I have my own set of filters in every format. You're talking about uh, now, since? Yes, since they are yeah. still in my yeah. closet here. But at the time? At the time, it, they were not existing. So it was just losing uh, the 85? It was lo or putting an ND60 yes. and not compensating for it. Yeah. I did a big mistake once on a day for night, which my, I was not underexposed enough, 
So what, they had to Mickey Mouse the thing in the lab. I had to, yeah, the, the printer labs were, uh, the end of it was 50. 50, So yeah. sometimes when you, the, you need to go darker yes. and you already have 50, they had to, it was a problem for them. They yes. could do it, but they had to, yes. to change the settings. But once the again, printers. the lab called and said it was not very good on the movie I did with Marlon Brando. And finally, on a day for a night, I had a review in Time magazine and uh, Newsweek, so they were very good. That's the story of uh, relationships sometimes with some people, you know, who are not understanding what you are doing. Yeah, it's very easy to do. You can change uh, numbers, and if you take LA, for instance, the printing la uh, lights are Dulux and Technicolor. There is a difference of 12 lights between the two labs, so uh, you have to know that. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't matter, actually. Yeah. It doesn't matter, no, yeah. no. And it can be very good in both labs. Yeah. Uh, and also, when I offered color trend lighting to Orson, I forgot this. He said, wonderful, you know, because it had been invented by my gaffer when I did uh, my first movie, Citizen can Kane. You, for the, our younger audience, yes. uh, remind us what is the color trend? The color trend is kind of a uh, par 64 in the, uh, those existing now in the United States in wide, medium, narrow and ultra-narrow. And they were like this. Now you plug them in directly, but at that time they were going through a transformer and you were moving them up slowly to bring more voltage to the light. Yeah, I remember. This. It was uh, a blue, bo heavy box. Yeah. And yeah. with little yeah. uh, switches that you pushed yes, in. Yeah, push pin. Uh, yeah. Push pin. And push it pin. was, and you should have, you had to go gradually. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and it was actually uh, augmenting, I guess, the voltage. Oh, augmenting uh, the voltage, absolutely. Uh, so we had this. I had not chosen the electrician on that movie. They came from the other uh, DP. And they stayed with me, and uh, they were very professional, but uh, they were doing what I was asking them to do. Uh, it was a very strange situation, a bit electric with the electricians, but they were still doing what they had to do, and I had no problem with the grip either. Uh, I had a lady, with bad, another one bad-mouthing me, she was a hair stylist, because I hadn't known her when I was shooting some shorts with Piala in Istanbul, years ago, and she couldn't take the idea that this little guy was shooting documentaries with Maurice Piala, who became a big French director, was now the DP, uh, <laughs> and she was saying, Jean doesn't like his dailies, uh, and I don't like the dailies, and she never went to the dailies. <laughs> you know, those things are happening in everyone's life, you know. And Jean, no, Jean was liking what I was doing, yes. There just I read somewhere, but I would like to hear it from you. Uh, there are some views of the port, the harbor. Yes. Uh, that you shot in not at all in the harbor. No, we shot them how in Chinchon. How did you do that? Well, we put some uh, decoration, some poles, some uh, you know, uh, some pieces of uh, big white tissue or blue tissue, and this was between day and night, and we did it like that. That's the day so you, when you were sh showing with piece of uh, cloth. It was like sails. Sails, yes, they and, were and sails. Mast, yes, but you wouldn't see the, the no, boats. No, you wouldn't see the boats, and uh, and uh, I shot it, let's say, at dusk. 
So that's a thing very hard to time, and all the latest print I have seen are very bad about that. Mm-hmm. That's another story. It's the, not the immortal story. It's the uh, post-production story now, which are changing. People are changing your colors because it's their taste, and they dare to attack the work of Orson Welles by changing the colors in one of the, uh, of his movies. That's horrible. That's really a thing we have to fight for, depending defending our rights. As artists, we are defending the director and we are defending our own work. And one day we have to be qualified as co-authors of the movies because if we were not there, it would be a radio show. I would like you, really to talk about uh, the way you were filming uh, the, the shots, which would uh, be shot in reverse of Orson, the one with Orson Welles, knowing that the one with Orson Welles, as you said, were all shot at the very end of the movie. Yes. Uh, is Orson had always the same system. First of all, I have to remind you he had a bad memory. So there were cards all over the place, all over him, When he, and he, when he was closing his eyes, it was to look at one of the flyers on the wall to remember his lines. But the system was this one. Let's say a week before shooting the reverses, we were taking an extra or uh, the size of Orson Welles. We're putting him in the chair and we were putting a CM3, some black and white, and we were going to shoot, but we were measuring the height of the camera in relation to the ground, the height of the camera in relation to the ceiling, to the left-hand wall, and to the right-hand wall. And we're shooting a small piece of black and white, and then, when you had the shots to be done on Orson, the real, the real, the real shots, uh, he wasn't trusting the, the AD, never an assistant director, always a cameraman, so I was responsible. And... Even with all these measurements, sometimes it was another shot. And Orson was laughing like hell, because he was really, he saw me taking the measurements, we had the grips, some chalk, everything. Sorry, I don't understand. You, you were filming that we to were establish, to see... Uh... To, to see an image. We, we, we were shooting it, processing it, mm-hmm. taking a small clip having the image. To see how it looks, and if he was happy with the shot in some yes, way. And if he shot, was happy, this would be the, the model to reproduce. Yeah, but it was not the lighting. No, no. No lighting, just the, the composition. Angle. Composition yeah. and angle. Composition, angle. But was it related to the reverse, meaning yes, the yes. one uh, with, the, I guess, the chair in the foreground and the, the other actor, the other the shoulder? Yes, yes. We had several sizes, several mm-hmm. shots like this. Yes. But on a lot of things, I still improvised certain things, you know. Uh, the problem where it was always mismatching is the makeup. Because Orson has always been playing with his makeup, and the color of his skin or his nose was never matching. And it's not a matter of my photography. Because he, used, he was doing his makeup himself. Yes. Oh, well, he was changing the size of his nose or, uh, or something like that, and I had no control on that. I mean. Sometimes we're very, those things were very hard, hard to time. Because if I was adjusting the skin really where it would be, the walls were changing color. You know the problem. Yes. Everybody knows the problem. So sometimes I left it the way it was. And I did the timing without Orson. He trusted me at the, well, when he saw the zero print, the answer print, mm-hmm. 
Uh, of course, he was making his comments, but once again, I was going back to the lab and I was doing the timing by yeah. myself. And there was really a good relationship. And after that, you know, I did uh, two or three unfinished movies with him, which is another subject of another story. Yeah, even though uh, maybe the one in uh, Hungary yes. uh, deserves, it would be, if, I don't know if they will keep it, uh, depends the size of the podcast. Yeah, no, it's very it nice. It is a lovely story. It's very lovely when you are not there. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, should you if tell you want, it now? Yeah, let's go ahead. If you want it. So one day, I have a call. It's not from Orson. It's, uh, Marc Borette was not involved. Somebody, I don't remember, on behalf of Orson asking me if I would be available to shoot a movie in Budapest. And Orson had met a Hungarian photographer, Mr. Paul, working in London, and he was a still photographer on one of the James Bond, where Orson was an actor. And he, was, he said to the Hungarians, I, I will bring you Orson Welles. And the Hungarians were, uh, how would I say, trying to get some dollars, some hard currency from the West. So it was much cheaper to work in Budapest. So we had another novel from Isaac Dinensen and uh, a small one to transform the immortal story in a program which would last an hour and a half. Because the immortal story is, is 52 only minutes, 52 minutes. Which is a standard for television. So I would compare it in literature, I would compare that as a novel compared to a book. And that's why some people were really resistant because they were expecting to see a long movie and some... So, like a novella. Novella, a novella, yes. Novella, yes. Yeah, it's a novel. Yes, it's a novella. For him, it was the idea. But he was wanting to transform it in a full-size feature. So we started with... Uh, we went there with Oya, uh, who, who was his companion, and uh, she was wanting to be an actress. That's another story. So we were with her in Budapest, and, uh, and uh, two very old gentlemen were British actors, you know, from uh, some theatre in London, because there is always a prologue in Orson Welles' mm-hmm. movie, and the prologue was going to be shot in the opera of, Bu- of Budapest, big stairs, and I had the possibilities to use what I was needing, so I arrived, I was the only one with Orson, the rest of the crew was Hungarian. So, the first day, we requested a CM3, and to make a long story short, when we arrived, we had an Aeroflex, what Orson hated, but an Aeroflex without a battery, with a wire going to a Jeep, being outside and spinning to give the power 12 volts from 220. So every time he was saying, roll, the car was not rolling, it was taking two or three minutes, and he was infuriated. I had requested two arc, two brutes, and I had those two brutes and some other lights I don't remember really, and we shot the entire day, this thing, and Orson was fuming. And, uh, okay, stop, this was, was a day before Easter, and we would come back on Tuesday, the Tuesday, because it's a Catholic country, even if it was a communist world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monday, Easter Monday was yeah, still yeah, a holiday. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. And uh, so I was at the Gellert Hotel, which was a very chic hotel, but I didn't have any money. I was signing, like Orson, I was signing, 
And a very strange thing, thing happened. I was much younger. I didn't take the elevator. I, I ran from downstairs, running through the sides, some steps going down, some stairs. And I came across Orson coming down the stairs. That was very strange because when you hear those stories, you know where Orson Welles takes one brute in one hand, puts it there, does the lighting himself. Forget it. Orson had flat feet. He could do that. He never did that because of his feet. So it was very strange, but I didn't really click. I, I didn't think about anything. And uh, I said, what should I call you? Uh, the answer is marvelous. Uh, don't call me, I'll call you. And also, let me do a short flashback. After the first evening, the bill for the first day came in his hotel room, and he was a producer. It was more expensive than cost working in Hollywood. Because we asked for two brutes, we had probably ten brutes, which I didn't use. We had the streets full of trucks, the Airflex, which had a small generator to start the, the camera. And the... Uh, the bill was very huge, I don't remember how it was. And he said to me, look at this. I looked at and I said, yeah. And I answered, yes, but you know, Orson, I'm not a production manager. And he said, from now on, you are. <laughs> <laughs> I was not really a production manager. And I, yeah, it was totally unrealistic. And he had this marvelous phrase. I was loving all those Hungarian restaurants in Hollywood I was liking, but remember this phrase, if you have a Hungarian as a friend, you don't need an enemy, <laughs> which is a marvelous phrase. <laughs> so, I was, during Easter, I didn't, I was by myself, and uh, I had dinner once with Orson in the Chic restaurant where he refused to sign the complimentary card, the, the book, uh, because he said, they, they came with the book before he ate. And he said, how would I sign? I have not eaten here. So, so the story goes on. And the next day, I'm alone in uh, Budapest, walking, and I come across, I came across a journalist which had done some interviews in Cuba while I was there doing a uh, a piece on Fidel Castro for French for TV. Yeah, no, well, before that. Uh, for for Saint Colonel mm -hmm. which is the equivalent of sixty minutes in the United States, and uh, she had a big per diem, and she invited me to eat because I had no money outside of the. Uh, and she was very interested in, and she was writing a piece, I think about uh, Miklos Jancho or something like that at that time. And uh, I came back to the uh, hotel. Nobody, no news. Alexander Pollard knowing what to do, and myself, the ADs calling me, what are we doing on Tuesday? I'm not the vaguest ID. Uh, how would I know? I didn't have the script yet. Uh, it was a small piece. Orson was keeping the script. So I didn't know what to do. I, I went to my room. Uh, I didn't even watch TV in Hungarian. Uh, I, uh, the phone rang at midnight. And this is the secretary, secretary of Orson Welles in London, Mrs. Rogers. In a very English voice, she says, uh, Mr. Courant, you are booked on the plane at 6.30 tomorrow morning. Orson will wait for you in Vienna. I didn't know what to do, so I woke up. I examined Paul and I said, I cannot run like this. I can't pay my hotel bill except on my own credit card. He said, no, no, I'll take care of that, and uh, don't worry. 
and everything was arranged. You know, we are paying favors at that time with uh, nylon stockings to the girls and things. The producer was a guy like this, uh, arranging things with the government, giving them things they didn't have normally. And finally, I arrived in uh, in Vienna. I prepared my kit. I took a cab and I went to the airport and I left like Orson, except Paul was going to pay for me. And Orson was waiting for me at the airport and I was really fuming. I was furious. And I'm not so big. I'm not a tall man. And Orson is a very imposing man. And I said to Orson, you don't know what you did to me. I could be in jail. And he answered, Willie, you know what they did to me. So... We are equal. <laughs> okay, he said, let's go to the Gellert. We'll, we'll eat some boiled beef. It's a better Gellert Hotel. is a thing everybody knows in the world of culinary art. And the boiled beef is something delicious. And I had an awful tie with flowers. I had both. When I was in Stockholm with Jean-Luc Godard and I was needing a tie, and I was wearing my tie, and we arrived at the Gellert, and they say, please, sir, gentlemen... And they stopped Orson, and they said, Sir, you don't have a tie. <laughs> and his mouth was salivating, and the smell of the beef was already in the saloon. And he said, But you know who I am? Yes, Mr. Wells, but I'm very elegant. In fact, he was very elegant. He was wearing a black dress, a black suit with a white, white shirt. But, no, Mr. Wells, you need the tie. That was a very funny story. And finally, they offered him a tie, which was a very ugly tie, worse than my flower tie I had bought in <laughs> Stockholm. And we ate the boiled beef, and I have never been paid for that. That's, it. That's one of the adventures I had with Orson. Yeah, I, I have to add just another small thing. Yeah. Orson was freaking out at the idea he wouldn't wake up. You know? And I have a very nice story to terminate this thing. <laughs> Uh, and uh, so uh, Marc Moret, the uh, line producer, was coming to wake him up. And usually the other guy terrified not to wake up was me. And I was all... So we were... When the call it was 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock, I was already there at 7 o'clock or 6.30. And Orson was there together. So we're taking the CM3, we're doing shots by ourselves. So the famous shell shot bouncing on the floor... to. We did it, we, the two of us, at 6 o'clock in the morning. And the nicest story, we had a few retakes also. And I had, my assistants were not available. We shot them in a very small studio. And it was very, very, very cold. And when Orson was speaking, there was like a flow of steam coming off, out of his mouth. So there was a small makeup room, and he took a big glass... He asked for some ice cubes, and he was sucking the ice cubes, and so we didn't have this team. And so I, I read many times about this trick, yes. that, so you can yes. say it oh, works. Oh, yes, it works. It works, absolutely. But the assistant I hired for, for one day, who is now a famous cameraman, I won't quote his name, <laughs> uh, was so proud to have worked on Orson Welles. He told to everybody in Paris that during the take, Orson was drinking immense glasses of cognac, you know, like Orson was a drunk. Orson was not a drunk. He was liking food, but he was not a drunk. I have a few other stories when I did some other movies. But now also, at that time, I had a sports car, which was a small... Tell me which uh, a, uh, uh, a Triumph. 
We arrive. He tries to get out, and he cannot get out of the tribe. He's stuck in the tribe theatre. So we call the grips, <laughs> and we unscrew the seat, oh and we take him out this way. This was a wonderful story, and very funny. Maybe it's a good end. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, really.